It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Friday, which means we have a musical guest today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. Red will be joining us uh, with some new music. In the second hour, we're going to talk uh, with author Marty Laurent, who has a book called A Hand Up, which... Uh, actually kind of uh, pits uh, politics and uh, religion a little bit. Um, but this hour, we're going to ramp up to that uh, in a way um, by because we're going to be talking a little bit about pageant, pageants and politics, um, or at least that's part of the complicated reign of the beauty pageant in America as described in a new book called Here She Is by... An author who is uh, has a unique perspective as a now state president, um, daughter of Miss America 1970, sometimes pageant judge and Ivy League professor. Her name is Hillary Friedman. She joins me now by phone. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, are, are pageants here to stay? Well, they've been here a very long time. And well, this I is like the hundredth an- this is like the hundredth anniversary of uh, the Miss America pageant. Correct. This year. And beauty contests have been around before that. Certainly, Miss America is the one we sort of think of as the biggest out there. And a hundred years is like an eternity in American pop culture. So it is quite something that has that has it has been around so long. Um, but certainly, beauty pageant culture is really embedded in our everyday lives. You can just think about The Bachelor when you turn on the TV. It's like a modern version of Miss America. Uh, Yet it's uh, it's changed a little bit. Uh, Well, it's changed a lot over the years. Pageants, you said, used the phrase beauty pageant, and somewhere through the 60s and 70s that became almost kind of um, a misnomer to say that. And... and, uh, you are often corrected and, and told, oh, no, they're scholarship pageants. Yes, Miss, the movie Miss Congeniality really made that very popular. 
Uh, it's true that the Miss America pageant in particular has changed a lot. So when it started about 100 years ago, it was a bathing beauty contest, and it was only based on how you look. And the Miss America program today focuses on scholarship money, and there's a talent competition, and you have to have a social justice issue, social impact initiative that you feel very strongly about promoting. So it's more than just how you look. Now, there are other pageants, like you can think of Miss USA, that are still really focused on how you look and have the swimsuit competition and all of that. So there have been lots of changes to beauty pageants in general, but especially to Miss America. I, I was kind of interested in the, the references to um, P.T. Barnum and uh, Donald Trump, who both had their own uh, takes and, and uh, interests in beauty pageants. Yes, so P.T. Barnum, I mean, many of us think of him today as, as the man who said there's a sucker born every minute, although it's, <laughs> no one's ever proved he actually said it. And, of course, circus and all of that, we think of him. But he started the first commercial beauty contest in the United States in the 1850s. Um, he was doing all these different shows at his American Museum in New York City, so like dog contests, poultry contests, flower contests, and he thought, well, I'm going to do the most handsome lady contest. And interestingly, that one didn't go as well for him because a lot of women and their loved ones didn't want them to be in public and being judged, like in person. So he pivoted and turned that into a photo contest. Um, of course, that continued to evolve. He actually started a lot of baby shows, the biggest baby shows that there were in the United States at that time. And, of course, he went into politics later, and he's, you know, it's almost certain he would have been some sort of reality TV impresario if he lived today. And so there are a lot of parallels to Donald Trump because, of course, he used to own the Miss Universe and Miss USA pageant. And um, how is... Uh Miss America funded um, because it's not owned by an individual or corporation, or is it? Well, that's correct. And so, if you'll recall, actually, Donald Trump used to own a bunch of casinos in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which is the home of Miss America, where it was founded and where it lived for many, many, many years. And so, in the 1980s, he was like, oh, this Miss America thing, this would be a great fit. But then he found out it's a nonprofit, and he was like, that's not the right fit for me, whereas Miss USA is a for-profit organization, and that was a better fit for him. So Miss America uh, runs on 501c dollars and also obviously um, takes in revenue from the annual television broadcast, which isn't happening this year, of course, because of COVID-19, uh, but it's a very different model. But there are lots of... Um, beauty pageants that are for profit and are businesses for people, small businesses. Um, how is, um, is, is the pageant just being, the Miss America pageant this year, just being skipped over until next year? And, and why do you think they, they chose not to have it um, or, or not to do sort of a Zoom version the way a lot of other things are? Yeah, there have been some Zoom pageants that people are doing virtual pageants um, or something that's very socially distanced. I've even seen some pictures um, of crownings in other countries where women are wearing masks that have been um, designed to match their dresses and gowns. But, uh, 
you know, I think there's two major reasons Miss America in particular isn't happening this year. Well, really three. Number one is that I mentioned, you know, this television exposure is really important and it would be much more difficult than, you know, you can think when you watched American Idol, if you watched that this year, there were technical difficulties and it wasn't the same thing. Second and probably most important is that normally the contestants who would compete at Miss America, so like Miss Michigan or Miss Ohio or all of those state pageants happen over the spring and summer, and those couldn't happen. So they're literally not the right contestants. They don't exist to compete this year. And then finally, you mentioned it's the 100th anniversary. So I think because this year in particular – is very special. It makes sense to wait so that many of the former Miss Americas, my mom included, who was Miss Michigan and Michigan where I grew up, um, she, you know, she and others would be able to go back and be together in person. Oh, well, oh let me let me uh, see how my memory is. Kaylin Lani? Nope, <laughs> I might. I would be a little bit too young. So okay. she was the first Miss America after my mom was crowned and. I actually write in the book, I remember when she was crowned, Kaylani Ray Rafko, because I was eight years old and I watched on TV and I was so excited and I turned to my mom and I said, now I get to meet a real Miss America. So oh, mom has never funny. let me live that down. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but my mom was Miss America in 1970, Pam Eldridge. She crowned Phyllis George. That's how a lot of people oh, wow. um, Interesting. date the era. Interesting. Um 1970 would have been a little bit ahead of my time to be tracking what was going on with <laughs> Miss America. Not that I wasn't around or capable. I, I just wouldn't have viewed it the same way. Um, but uh, my my recollection of um, Miss America pageants is is a little stereotypical it it's the bathing suit contest it's the interview where everybody says they're for world peace um what how has that evolved and how have the various controversies with miss america helped to shape that evolution Well, certainly, um, you know, it's been very recent with Miss America that the swimsuit competition was removed. That was in 2018. So that came out of a big controversy um, related to Me Too movement, uh, where the man who had been running Miss America uh, was ousted because of emails that were leaked um, in which former Miss Americas in particular were spoken of in disparaging ways related to their womanhood. And so Gretchen Carlson, who many people know um, from her journalism career and also, you know, famously succeeding in her lawsuit against Roger Ailes um, about sexual harassment, she was brought in to write the ship, so to speak. And so um, probably her, the biggest thing definitely that she did was eliminate the swimsuit competition. So all of that is connected to what is going on in broader American society today. Um, And I would say it is difficult when you only see the two-hour television special once a year because you don't see the 10-minute private judge's interview in which the contestants are being hammered with questions from a panel of judges, um, which is very different from the canned sort of, excuse me, sometimes canned 30-second answers that you see on television. So... It's understandable to me why there are so many stereotypes, and 
I think it is incumbent upon, let's say, Miss America in particular to figure out a way to show that this is much more than just what you see on a two-hour special. I, I, I mentioned, as you have, that you that your mother was Miss America in 1970. And how was her life, and, and ultimately your life, impacted by the fact that she had been Miss America? Was that one of those things like the the football star who who relives the winning touchdown <laughs> all the time or or was there a, a different kind of lesson learned from the experience well i think everybody handles that slightly differently for my mom she often was like that was one part of my life and now i moved on to other parts of my life but i will say you know she was miss michigan and i grew up there and so Pretty much every elementary school age teacher I ever had knew who she was. And, you know, mom still to this day really won't go to the grocery store without, quote, unquote, a face on. So I think there are those sorts of lasting impacts. And for me, um, you know, certainly I did learn, okay, how do I tease my hair so I have big hair or how do I do my makeup and those sorts of things. And um, that's more the superficial, but I also learned um, about public speaking and being engaged in your community and that sort of thing. But mom has not been super involved with the Miss America pageant. Some former Miss America stay and go back every year. Um, I joke I've been to more Miss America pageants than she has. So um, I think it shapes people's lives in different ways. But certainly one of the most interesting things, I think, when you watch a beauty pageant and everybody mocks that crowning moment when someone's announced and you so excited or you cry or you fake cry but the reality is you're actually seeing the moment when someone's life changes forever and you don't always get to have a front row seat to that experience for someone and for sure like it changed every single aspect of her life and you know when she married my dad he you know he wanted to meet her because he knew she was a former Miss America and that sort of thing so it definitely has ripple effects and while I have never competed in a beauty pageant here I am. I wrote a book about it, right? So clearly, it's impacted my life as well. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about about writing a book about it, but before I do, um, you touched on something, and I hope this isn't too sensitive. But um, was was there a certain amount of uh, the relationship between your your father and your mother that she was a, a trophy wife to begin with? Well, I mean, I'm sure there was some element of that. He would have, you know, never wanted to meet her if she hadn't been Miss America. And, of course, he knew about her because of that experience. Um, and my parents divorced when I was very young. I was three. So, um, you know, I think that's a whole other complicated dynamic. But my dad at the time was a doctor in Michigan. He also grew up in Detroit and um, went to Wayne State for all of his schooling. And so, you know, there was this element of, like, here's the surgeon and here's Miss America, and that must be sort of a picture-perfect life, and they have a daughter. But, of course, we all know um, life is rarely perfect. So I think I have looked over time because I've collected all the data on um, both Miss USA's and Miss America's. Do they have similar divorce rates to the rest of the population and earlier on, the divorce rate seems to be higher. But hey, um, we got to take a short break. Can we, can, can we come back and talk some more? Yeah. All right, stand by. program on account of because he's so bouncy. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, My guest this hour is the author of a book called Here She Is, about the complicated reign of the beauty pageant in America, Hillary Levy Friedman. Hillary, am I saying your name right? You are. Oh, good, good, good. And I have to apologize, Hillary. Welcome back, first of all, and thanks for sticking around. But I was so caught up in your conversation. We have automated breaks, and I just forgot to watch the clock. I was so caught up in what you were saying. Um, but let's let's pick up a little bit uh, a little bit beyond where we left off, and that was uh, that I was going to ask you um, about why you decided to write the book. Um, most people uh, are interested in anything but the family business. It's true. Uh, although, <laughs> if you watch the RNC this week, that's probably doesn't seem to be the case. And lots of people do go into the family business. But um, I would say I'm family business adjacent with this book. Um you know, for me, it felt like a book I had to write because not only was my mom Miss America 1970, one of my students at Brown University, uh, Cara Mund, became Miss America 2018, and I was in the room when she won, and it was one of the uh, most exciting things I've ever experienced. And I am very active um, as a feminist and in politics, and so I felt like I could tell a story uniquely that nobody else could tell. And um, had access to a different perspective and access to research and data that no one else did. And I really think, as I mentioned before, pageant culture is embedded um, in our everyday lives. And, you know, the President of the United States used to own one of the biggest pageants in the world. And so it's not, you know, it's not just some silly thing that we should dismiss. It's something that I think that we should take seriously. So I've done, you know, other research, and my first book was about kids' competitive activities, which there's probably some link there to, or there definitely is some link to child beauty pageants, but this seemed like the moment where I really had something to say, and I hope I do. Well, we were talking uh, in the last segment a little bit about uh, uh, pageant stereotypes, and I'm glad you brought up the uh, um, child beauty pageants. Um, you know, you have a connection to Michigan. Uh, your parents were from Michigan. Your mom was Miss Michigan before becoming Miss America. Um, but we also, Michigan has a strange connection to the John Bonet Ramsey case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she was very famously a child pageant participant. Um, what about this this stereotype of child pageants and and stage moms and and that sort of thing? Well, you know, stereotypes are sometimes rooted in reality. They're more complicated, (laughs) but they're rooted in reality. And, um, yes, Patsy Ramsey, who has passed away, um, you know, since JonBenet's tragic murder, still unsolved, of course, um, did on some level fulfill some of those stereotypes. I mean, when... At JonBenet Ramsey's funeral, they played a song from the musical Gypsy, and that's sort of the most prototypical example of a stage mom that there is. Um, but Patsy Ramsey had been Miss West Virginia. She and her sister, who later became Miss West Virginia, were the first sisters to compete at Miss America. 
And she didn't do particularly well um, at the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City. And so when she had a daughter who expressed interest in the pageant world, she said, and she's written this, she wrote this in books um, after the murder, that she thought if she had gotten involved sooner, she might have been more successful at Miss America. So this clearly was a case of the mom had done done an activity, thought she could have gone far, further if she had started earlier, or maybe her parents had invested more time or resources, and so she was going to give that opportunity to her daughter, and she chose to put her in child pageants to do that. Now, child pageants and, and adult pageants often are very different paths, but obviously they're related. Well, uh, certainly the ones for children are are probably more about cute than beauty, but um, you just said something that that really caught my attention. You said you were talking about uh, uh, Patsy Ramsey's sister not doing particularly well. Um, You've been a pageant judge. How does a contestant do well or not well at Miss America? They've been... Miss Michigan or Miss West Virginia or Miss Hawaii or Miss Texas, um, you know, they go into it with a little bit of uh, an understanding of what's expected and a little bit of practice. How do you, how do you not do well at the past? Well, there's 51 contestants and there's only one winner. So, um, you know, a lot of people would set a goal of making the top 10 because that means you'll be on, on television and make the television show or a goal of wearing, winning a talent award even if you didn't make the top 10, for example, or an interview award or something like that. So if they'll, in the pageant world, sometimes they'll say, I just want my name to be called for something. So if your name's not called for something, which most people's is not going to be called for something because, again, there's only one winner out of 51 contestants, Um, So that's what I meant there. But the way that contestants do do well um, and having judged is, you know, it's interesting, and I say this to my my students when they're applying to colleges, so I think this is a transferable skill, but, you know, you have to have a good sense of who you are as a person and have a narrative and know where where you've come from and where you're going and then have a certain degree of authenticity. And so someone who has that is, is a contestant who will do well probably in all phases of the competition. You mentioned almost parenthetically um, a, a connection or, or at least a crossing of paths between pageants and politics. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, How are they connected? Used, well, besides Donald Trump, which we'll put to the side for a second, it used to be that um, pageant queens married the politician. So I mentioned Phyllis George before. She ended up becoming First Lady of Kentucky for a time, for example. But now these beauty queens want to be the politician. So there have been several former Miss Americas who've run for state and national office, and there are many um, state queens who have been elected to both state and local office. And, you know, many of the skills that, especially today, that it takes to become a Miss State winner are skills that are transferable to the political arena. So you have your stump speech. You're able to speak in sound bites. You often go to the same sort of chicken dinners or grin and greet events, I mean, pre-COVID, of course, um, that 
other civic leaders are going to. You know, former Governor Jennifer Granholm actually was a beauty pageant winner um, long before she was governor. So many people are, many women are able to use this experience of being in front of other people and speaking and being out there. I mean, it's, we used to be called a platform issue at Miss America, this um, cause that you were really advocating for. So there's a lot of crossover in the political language as well. And and how are um, Miss Americas, how have they been able to um, impact those platform cl- uh, causes? Well, I'll give an example um, of a former Miss America who recently ran for office. Uh, Mallory Hagan was Miss America 2013, and her platform issue was about preventing childhood sexual abuse. And so during her year, like, she test- went to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. She testified about these issues. She was involved with the major organizations um, to work on specific initiatives and then also to be a spokesperson. So I think when uh, someone has an issue that they have perhaps been personally touched by or have a very serious interest in, um, that's an opportunity. There's another Miss America, Miss America 2000, who is from Kentucky. Her issue was supporting our veterans, um, and she just, in 2019, she almost won the race for Secretary of State in the state of Kentucky, and she had been, she she transferred her experience as Miss America advocating for veterans as her father was an injured veteran from the Vietnam War, and she actually ran the Department of Veterans Affairs in the state of Kentucky. Oh, wow. Um, You know, in my recollection of of television and film references to um, Miss America, there was always a chaperone. Is Is that still practiced? Yes, my mother definitely had chaperones. Today, there's a different term for them, traveling companion or now tour manager. So the (laughs) term has changed, but still there is, you know, for lack of a better term, a chaperone, um, who both is helpful, I think, to the, you know, really young women who are traveling the country and and out there and meeting lots of different people. Um, But for sure, in the past, you know, when my mom was with America, it was like, you don't want to be seen with a gentleman, and, like, people might get the wrong idea. So there's, there was definitely some policing of behavior going on. And, and that exists today, but not necessarily for the same reasons, because there was that, that image concern um, in, in days gone by. Um, as... You said these are typically very young women. How young? What's considered old to be competing for Miss America? Well, it's changed a little bit over time. It's actually become younger. It's um, The age limit right now is 25. You can't be older than 25. Miss USA has a slightly older age limit. I think you can go up to 27, and maybe you'd even turn 28 during the year that you're the winner. Um, and you can start competing after you've graduated from high school. So usually that means 18, sometimes it could mean 17. There was actually a Miss America who won at 17, like in this century. So uh, there is, you know, even a 17-year-old and a 25-year-old, that's actually a pretty big age gap, if you recall your days in in that age range. But still, they are young women and um, still must be unmarried 
and in the contract that you've never been married. So there's still policing of, of that sort of behavior that goes on. What about the controversies that have happened uh, over the years with Miss America? And I'm thinking, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Vanessa Williams. Of course. Um, but, but there have been others. Um, how have they played and ultimately shaped the evolution of Miss America? Well, I mean, Vanessa Williams for sure is a you know, amazing and tragic story. Uh, I think most people would agree that she's both the most famous and perhaps the most infamous Miss America. She was not only the first black woman to be crowned, but she's the only Miss America who's ever lost her title. And that's a very complicated story, but obviously she's gone on to great success. Um, The swimsuit controversy a few years ago and when Gretchen Carlson came in, that really changed the pageant because you know, they got rid of the swimsuit, and it led to a lot of tumult within the organization um, and both how it looks and who's still going to participate. So I think that story is still playing out, and we'll see how that impacts things long term. But Vanessa Williams winning, you know, it was sort of late when you think about it, 1984, to have the first Black Miss America, but since then there have been um, many black winners, and women of color, um, an Indian-American woman, actually, who has roots in, in Michigan. She had been Miss Michigan's outstanding team before, Nina Davaluri, um, Asian Miss Americas. Uh, so I think the diversity came later than it should have, but it definitely exists today, particularly in the century. And I think that's a good thing, because if you're going to claim to represent the nation, it, you should look more like the nation looks, which was, is diverse. Was, was that bias inherent in the uh, in the pageant itself? Um, do you mean in terms of racial diversity? Yeah, or the lack uh, thereof for so long. Well, I mean, if you there's still some states that are celebrating, like very recently, having the first woman of color win their state pageant. So I think to the extent that states send representatives and perhaps, um, you know, well, we definitely know certain states have different histories when it comes to racial issues in the United States, that is, you're going to see how that plays out. Um, so I think the Miss Texas this year, no, definitely Miss Mississippi this year, I think was the first black winner in a very long time or ever. So, you know, I think we still see those lasting impacts today. You mentioned <laughs> P.T. Barnum and reality television shows in the same breath earlier. Um, and and is there an intersection between uh, competitive reality television shows and pageants? A hundred percent. I mean, I do joke that in the 1950s when Miss America first came on TV, it really was the first reality TV show. (laughs) You're taking someone who's completely anonymous and turning them into um, a celebrity overnight. doesn't work quite the same way these days, but, you know, the sentiment remains. And competitive reality shows in particular, you think American Idol, The Bachelor, which I already mentioned, but so you think you can dance, America's Next Top Model, you know, the list goes on, RuPaul's Drag Race even, um... You know, on some level, if you can go win American Idol and you're a great singer, why would you compete in Miss America? Carrie Underwood, one of the most successful American Idol winners, actually competed in the Miss Oklahoma system. 
But, of course, if she wants to be a big singer, that makes sense. The American Idol platform is much, much bigger today. So I think there's a element of, of pageants that has shaped the competitive reality TV shows, like when they announce their winners and all of that. But for sure, the platform that these other shows offer young people or you know, people of any age is much more powerful than a pageant today. You mentioned RuPaul, and I, I find that interesting. Um, to what degree have pageants influenced uh, uh, drag performance? Well, they've influenced each other, right? So RuPaul sort of famously says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And uh, <laughs> you could just think about the ways in which this like super-emphasized femininity that for drag queens is almost always a man, someone who identifies as a man dressing up to look like a woman, but in some sense, like, that's what any pageant contestant is doing or, you know, like, it's this exaggerated form of femininity, fake eyelashes, you know, big lips, all of those sorts of things. So there's definite overlap, um, and there are gay pageants. There's, like, Miss Gay America, Miss Gay United States, and that's for sure an element of, drag culture that's related to pageants and if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race like you definitely see elements that they've drawn from pageants I mean the winner gets a scepter (laughs) the way they eliminate people (laughs) that sort of thing so um, and you know I think that historically there has been a lot of gay men who are involved with pageants and um, you know I think there's some sharing of makeup tips from drag queens (laughs) and pageant queens and that sort of thing are there, um, we've been talking about diversity in pageants a little bit, but are there, are there certain groups of women that are still underrepresented by American beauty pageants? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's amazing because there's a big diversity of beauty pageants. So there's, you could probably find a beauty pageant for any small category that you want to, but if we're talking about Miss America and Miss USA, which are really these you know, big and well-known national pageants, um, there's never been a woman who's won yet who's an out lesbian. There has been a Miss America who is now married to a woman, but she was not out when she won. And then this really surprises a lot of people, but there's never been a Latina Miss America um, to win, which is interesting because pageant culture, especially in South America, is like super powerful, and there's been many... Miss Universe winners from that part of the world. Um, And, of course, we've never had uh, Miss America who's not, or Miss USA, definitely, for that matter, who's not thin and fit. And so there's sort of that diversity of appearance that definitely has not translated to this particular forum. Um, What will beauty pageants, or or let's, let's just keep it with Miss America, what will Miss America look like a hundred years from now? Well, I'm not convinced what is currently Miss America will still be around a hundred years from now, um, even a few decades from now, because the, you know, pop culture landscape really has changed. I believe Miss America will still exist in some form, um, but will it be on television? Will it be considered entertainment in the same way? If it can't transform, that I'm far less convinced of. You know, I joke, there's there's no way we wouldn't think that the Rhodes Scholarship is important, but probably we don't want to watch the Rhodes Scholarships on our television <laughs> interviews because that's not quite entertainment to a lot of people. And so I think Miss America, as they try to pivot to um, 
you know, being focused less on the sequins and the rhinestones and um, all of those sorts of things and outward appearance, they're going to have to think hard about how they would engage people and keep them interested from a general audience perspective. And and uh, more on um, issue type things. Correct. Yes. So, um, you know, listen. When you you can you joke about the world peace, but sometimes these contestants are asked about foreign policy. That you know, how do you fix the problem of ISIS or something? Is one problem. One question I remember in recent years, and and those are questions that are. You know, major elected leaders often cannot answer so powerfully or succinctly in a short period of time. So there are a lot of expectations that we place on these young women and that we place on young women in general apart from just beauty pageants. That I joke, you know, you should be on Instagram and care about social issues, but you also have to do it while, like, modeling all the right angles, and that definitely does not just apply to pageant contestants. Um. And this is this is fascinating stuff. I can't believe how fast the time is going. Um, how did you decide to write this book? Um, well, like I said, I was I thought this was a story that I was sort of uniquely positioned to tell as both an insider and an outsider, and it was a perspective that wasn't out there. And I've been doing research for this book, well, I joke, on some level my whole life, but um, doing serious research, like, for instance, collecting all these program books that the pageants put out. Um, I've collected them since the 1970s to look and see, like, is the stereotype of a blonde, light-eyed winner always true? turns out it's not. The majority of winners have brown hair or brunettes. Um, But just this, this level of research that's rooted in fact and not just um, sort of stereotypes and opinions. And I, I really felt that that was in a, an interesting perspective to, to get out there. And I'm glad that you find it interesting and hopefully lots of other people do as well. Well, yeah, that's, that's another question is, um, you know, who is the book for? Is, is, is this to coincide with the 100th anniversary of uh, Miss America? Well, of course, as you know, books are in the works for a very long time. And um, yes, it was meant to coincide with the hundreds that would have been held this year, but who could have ever imagined COVID-19 <laughs> and all those sorts of things? Right. Um, so definitely at the moment for reflection with Miss America, but there's always a pageant story going on. I mean, I don't know if you recall last year, it was the first year that Miss America, Miss USA, Miss Teen USA, and at some point in there too, Miss Universe were all uh, black women. And so that was, a very big story. Um, you know, you mentioned Jean Benet Ramsey. You can think about all these different television shows. I mean, there's always um, something going on in the world of pageants that has relevancy. Of course, again, Donald Trump and his um, previous ownership of Miss USA and Miss Universe. So there's always a hook and an angle because this really is part of our culture. But yes, the 100th anniversary is obviously a big hook. Hillary, I have to put a comma here. Can we? Uh, can you stick around and we'll talk a little bit more? Sure. 
All right. My, uh, I'll, I'll try and do this better th- this time than I did last time, Hillary. My uh, guest is Hillary Levy Friedman, the author of Here She Is, The Complicated Reign of the Beauty Pageant in America. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And we'll be back with Hillary right after this. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers, and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest is the author of a book called Here She Is, The Complicated Reign of the Beauty Pageant in America. She is Hillary Levy Friedman, and she joins me by phone. Hillary, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Um, you argue in your book, or, or at least reveal in your book, some of the ways that pageants have been an empowering feminist tradition. How so? Well, you know, I said it was very complicated when, <clears throat> excuse me, the first Miss America pageant started because it was this bathing beauty pageant. So women were being judged strictly on how they looked and in their bathing suits. But at the same time, when you think about the world in 1921, it was actually really out there for a woman to be in public um, and have her body judged. So in some sense, you know, today we're slightly more horrified by it, but at that time, um, those women were really doing something bold. And I also think, again, sticking with Miss America, when the scholarship portion of Miss America was introduced in the 1940s, not that many women were pursuing undergraduate degrees, and certainly not that many women were pursuing graduate degrees, a very small percentage of the college-age-going population. And here comes this opportunity to get your entire college education paid for. So that was pretty out there and giving women an opportunity to not just be involved in entertainment, but to pursue um, a profession. We talked about uh, your perspective on this, having been the daughter of uh, Miss America 1970 and, and participating. You're an Ivy League professor, and, and you've been a pageant judge. But you're also state president of NOW. Um, when you talk to other women in NOW, um, how do they react when you say you've, uh, uh, that your mother was uh, Miss America 1970? Okay, well, I'll answer this in two parts. Number one, pageants are super interesting because it's so easy to dismiss them, and then you meet someone who's won or, you know, even for myself, I didn't win. My mom did. But it's suddenly like, oh, wow, that's really impressive. That's so interesting. Um, there's a joke in the pageant world, you're more likely to have a son win the Super Bowl than a daughter win Miss America. And, of course, that's slightly just a numbers game because there's many more people on a football team. But, you know, the sentiment remains. Even if you think football isn't so great, you meet a Super Bowl winner, and, like, that's pretty amazing. So I think that says a lot. Um, second of all, I think people's reaction depends on their age. So, um, you know, a lot of second-wave feminists protested, protested outside of the Miss America pageant, um, really saw Miss America as a symbol of, like, women's oppression and misogyny. And so they have a slightly different take than my generation does, which is, you know, third-wave feminist, which I consider myself. To me, feminism is about choice. So, you know, it's horrible that 
women aren't, weren't allowed to be doctors or weren't allowed to be in the military and combat positions, but we also should recognize this is about choice. And if this is the platform which someone believes is the best one for them to help advance themselves, we should treat all of those things equally. Um, you know, while this was going on concurrently, um, Hugh Hefner was... Uh, running Playboy magazine, which, uh, you know, as everyone knows, featured um, pictures of, of beautiful women scantily clad. And uh, how much did those things parallel each other? Well, here's a really good example. Gloria Steinem, still one of our great feminist leaders who's with us, Part of the way she got famous is she wrote this piece about going undercover at the Playboy Lounge um, and dressing up like a Playboy bunny and serving people. Now, little-known fact, Gloria Steinem, who grew up in Ohio, actually competed in a beauty pageant, in a local beauty pageant, <laughs> and she's talked about how, um, you know, that was a way, a beauty pageant was a way for her to springboard out of her life in Ohio to something different. And I think... That is really telling that pageants, again, because of the educational opportunities or the opportunity to um, kind of figure out who you are, uh, can be this tool for social mobility. And so, you know, she doesn't talk about that past quite as much as probably the experience in the Playboy Lounge, but all of these things are connected. In the last segment, Hillary, you said something about uh, we were speculating about um, Miss America, a hundred years from now, and you were saying if it's still around, it might not be the same uh, kind of event because it might not be entertaining. Um, is beauty part of what makes it entertaining? Well, look, we, you know, people get really into the Academy Awards every year, right? And that's about talent and um, these great not just actors, but directors and musicians and lighting technicians. But one of the things that's the biggest part of the Oscars every year is the red carpet. And there's a red carpet show, and, you know, all the write-ups after talk about who had the best dress and all of those sorts of things. So clearly, you know, beauty and, you know, this whole industry that goes around it is, is a, you know, big part of entertainment and is part probably of just how we are as humans that yes we are social beings and we think and those things are great but still we are animals and our brains are triggered to have been you know designed to respond to particular stimuli and that sort of thing visually so I think just to deny that beauty is part of the equation in many different sectors um, isn't realistic Will we ever see a plus-size Miss America before Miss America goes by the wayside? I actually do think we will, um, especially because the bathing suit portion was eliminated. So I do expect that to change. I think that that would be somewhat more difficult at Miss USA. But if you think about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, there's... Um, in recent years, a much greater diversity of bodies that are presented, um, differently abled bodies, different sized bodies, that sort of thing. And Victoria's Secret, when they did their um, 
Angel Show, you know, that was a special. They're not quite as diverse, but there has been a diversity of bodies presented there in more recent years as well. Well, Hillary, I cannot believe how fast this time has gone. My guest is uh, Hillary Levy Friedman, author of Here She Is, The Complicated Reign of the Beauty Pageant in America. We've got to wrap it up, Hillary, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Obviously, the book is uh, a great place, which I'm sure is available where all fine books are available. But do you have a website? I do, HillaryLevyFriedman.com. I joke, my parents made my life difficult from the start, though. It's Hillary with one L and Levy with two E's. Um, But (laughs) you can search and find me, and I'm H. Levy Friedman on Twitter and Instagram and all of those social media sites. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. Thank you. All right, take care. You too. Though you once were the best bunny at the Playboy Club, you're getting to be a rabbit with me. I just sit there and stare as you hop from shrub to shrub. You're getting to be a rabbit with me. When I proposed to you that evening last spring, you said you'd be my mate. So I went out and bought a two-carat ring And both of them you ate Then your ears grew an inch And your nose began to twitch And I noticed your tail was attached permanently So I keep you in the backyard in a wooden hutch Cause you're getting to be a little too much Like Bugs Bunny You're getting to be a rabbit with me I feel like something's switching It's all so strange and new Egad, my nose is twitching I'm a rabbit too I'm getting to be a rabbit Hippity hop, I love you I'm getting to be a rabbit like you Move over, honey, and pass the lettuce. Spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys Have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC And listen well Unless you want to bid our free society Farewell There is a Super bad transmittable Contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick And social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine That lasts until July A super bad transmittable Contagious awful and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the 
start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine. The lesson to rely on super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, contagious. Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! It's 